After years of helping online businesses make more money by advising them on their taxes and finances, I've now made it my mission to reach as many profitable online businesses as possible to help them save on their taxes and make more money. On my quest, I bring you proven and real profitable online business owners, and we dig into how they do it. Hello again. Thanks for being here. This is the few, the proud, the profitable. This is the podcast where we talk exclusively to six and seven figure online business owners. We know that in this space, there's a lot of people who fabricate their success, who exaggerate their success, exaggerate their expertise. So on this podcast, what we do is we only talk to people who are actually making money online. Today, we got one of those. Tony, thanks for being here, man. Hey, Micah, thanks for having me on the show, man. I can't wait to add some value to your audience and really give them some just tactical takeaways, hopefully. Yeah, I'm excited. So first thing, talk to us, tell us who you are, what do you do? Well, I've got a, a crazy story. I've actually started becoming introduced as the side hustle millionaire about a year ago when my best-selling book came out of that title. And the thing is, the title is not a fictional title. It's actually a business book about how to take your ideas, analyze them against each other, and figure out the best way to create a business that's going to lead to profit or success, whether that's financial or time requirements. So I've created a lot of side businesses in the last 20 years. They earn millions of dollars in profit, not, not revenue. I'm not one of those revenue speakers right. that talks about making There's seven a- figures and they're spending you know, just under seven figures in ad spend to try to right. do this. There's a lot of people out there that kind of alludes to what you're mentioning that there's a lot of people out there, man, they're faking it, especially on social media. And they're saying like, I'm a seven figure businessman. I'm an eight figure businesswoman. And dude, they're, they're, they're spending seven figures on ads. It's like, come on, man. Like if well, I can spend a million dollars and I make a million and $1, like, you know, it's like, is that really a million dollar business? So I like to speak in profit, man. Cause that's the, what sure. gets people interesting. I like to see the net dude, the bottom line. And so I wrote this book to help other people because that's something that I have always had been doing. And I've only helped in the past 15 years was my inner circle of friends and people that knew me, gave them a lot of businesses and I helped them build seven and eight figure companies of their own. And they're always telling me, Tony, that this is what you should be doing. Like, but I always had this BS excuse of myself because guys, I, I was working in corporate for 25 years, oil and gas project management, mechanical okay. engineering degree. And dude, I struggled through college. I paid for college myself and it took me seven years. I was working full time out in the refineries. I was working as a laborer, a welder, pipe fitter, struggling, going to school at night, shitty grades, bad sleep deprivation, low energy. And I finally graduated. Then I put 20 years and I started climbing the corporate ladder, made it to middle management, multiple six figures salary. So very successful from the corporate structure. But what was that? Was That was the thing that was holding me back from doing what I really had passion for because Although you could be very good at your job, and I'll, and you probably listeners out there, you probably are good at your job. Many of you are highly paid at your job, but I guarantee it's not your passion because you probably always think of something else you'd rather be doing. So for me, I've always been a teacher. I've always wanted to help people become better, whether that's physical or mental or just push themselves. I have this unique ability that I can find the potential in other people that they may not even see themselves. So I decided to leave that corporate gig about three years ago. It was really hard to walk away from a quarter million a year like base and go pursue the things that I wanted to do. And so I started this business coaching and the podcast and the public speaking. And dude, I've never been happier, to be honest. I'm making a little bit less than I used to. It's, it's definitely on that trajectory to surpass that in the next yeah. year. But dude, I am so much more happy working at home. I have no stress. I've learned to identify the negative and toxic people in my life and get myself away from those people. 
and dude, just things have just been incredible in the last two years. Yeah, no, that's awesome. There are two two things that strike out that stuck out to me with what you're saying. One is you know the all the people who are saying I'm making seven, eight, nine figures, either spending all of it, and that's the majority. The ones that make me laugh the most though are the Facebook ads guys who talk mm-hmm. about what they're managing. So you're spending oh, other people's my. money. Dude. You're running an ad campaign for them using their dollars and somehow that becomes not only your revenue, which it's not even your revenue, but then you try to extrapolate that as if it's somehow the profitability of what your company actually is. Dude, that's like, that's one of my bombs that I always call people out on. And you got these, these click funnel guys out there talking about two comma club and 10 X comma club and these things. And you're one funnel away from being a millionaire. It's like, dude, you managing somebody else's money, you're not even transferring it through you because the ad spend, right. a lot of people, like you said, speak when ad spend is a revenue. And here's an analogy that your listeners may not understand the whole funnel type mentality, but I want to give them a, a tangible analogy that's related to it. I said, okay, I've got a lot of friends that own different companies that detail cars. Like they do high level detailing and waxing and ceramic coating. So these guys are literally working on multiple six figure cars, sometimes million dollar cars, right? Yeah. So think about that. That's the ad spend, right? Like yeah. customer drops the keys off to a million dollar classic or a collectible exotic car. And they go, Hey man, detail my car out. Does that detailer go, Hey guys, I, I manage a million dollars in business. Right. That's what these ad spend guys are talking. I mean, it's like, dude, you never took ownership of it. They just right. gave it to you for a second to go do something with it. And then, you know, they expect results. That's exactly you're waxing cars. So you yeah. can't, say that my business revenue is based on all the, imagine like the value of all the cars that one of these guys would detail over a course of an entire year. What are they gonna say like, I've got a $200 million company. <laughs> right. Oh, that's funny. But yeah, that was the first thing. And then my experience, I didn't last nearly as long as she did in corporate America, but I was at a Fortune 500 company working as an analyst there. And it was one of those things where on paper, that should have been a dream job. You're making good money, there's security, there's good retirement, all that stuff. And it was the most gilded cage I've ever experienced. As soon as I got, because like you said, walking away from that is difficult. It's, Dude, a, it's, which, it's, it's nearly impossible for most. I'd say the vast majority of people will never walk away from it. And the thing is, is because there's a lot of people, let's be honest, there's a lot of people out there that are highly paid that never thought they would be. And that included me. I was kind of the same way. I grew up, you know, one level out the trailer park and nobody in my entire family was successful. I was the first person to ever go to college on both sides of my family. So understand that I didn't think there was going to be a way to become a millionaire. Like that didn't even sound like a realistic thing to me as a kid. So I was fortunate to grow up around other neighborhoods that were much nicer and I could ride my bicycle around and see signs of wealth. And I was very inquisitive and asking a lot of questions and just really figuring out how they did that, but I never really saw it or believed it for me. Right. But the thing is, is that you start making these job things, you know, we're, we're, if you're raised middle class, especially you're taught to think, you know, make six figures and make six figures. Cause right now I think the, you could probably correct me on this, but I think the average income household income in the United States is in the forties, like still 40,000 something range, like between 40, 50. Yeah. So it's on the area, but that's, yeah. Yeah. And that's just the average, you know, that's just yeah. the average workforce. So think about that as like, for most people making a six figure income is still a dream, dude. This is the same dream that we've been peddling since I was a kid. And that was hell, dude, I'm, I'm almost 47. So I'm not a kid anymore. So think about 30 years ago, it was the exact same goals. 
And as you know, interest and all these different things and inflation, like it's not the same. 100,000 back then 30 years ago is not the same as 100,000. I would say it's probably, you need to make about 250 now is what I would just say to have that same lifestyle back then. Especially if you have kids. If you're, Dude. Because, I mean, the dream that they're peddling, we're talking 1950s middle white America, mm -hmm. where the dad could go out there and make 50 grand a year and they've got two cars and a picket fence and all that sort of um, Norman Norman Rockwell yeah they'll yeah do yeah there you go yeah you've got you've got those and that's just not the reality we live in now at mm -hmm. all most most couples both are having to work if you've got kids you've got exorbitant childcare costs so yeah that's about where I'd peg it if you want to live the way you did back then for a hundred grand you need at least a quarter of a million to have a comfortable yeah. level of comfort Exactly. So I, I think nowadays we should be teaching our children or the youth that you should be chasing multiple six figures as your real goal. Because, because here's what happens, Mike, because a lot of people cross that hundred zone and I'll tell you from business coaching and helping people and just being around people, just climbing the ladder. I've seen this over the course of my corporate career with colleagues and friends. Once they cross into that six figure, you know, finish line for most people, I'll call that they think that they finally made it to the goal and they've, they've achieved air quotes success at a hundred thousand. And I'll tell you that most of them kind of get complacent around 120 between a hundred and 120. They get really complacent because now they got like the new car, the new truck in the driveway. They've got a, a mortgage on a semi new house, you know, maybe two or $300,000 house in some suburb. And then, you know, things are pretty comfortable. They got their bills paid. They got the 401k, they got the insurance coming in. And the thing is a lot of times they think that they've made that success because they've been programmed by their parents and their teachers and their college university professors that if they made 100, 120, that they've made it. And sometimes these people will start to hang around with other people who are maybe making a little bit less that kind of pump them up. Like, Hey man, you're so successful. So if you're like the most successful person in your circle, like you need to like go find a bigger circle because that's going to honestly keep you small. So when you think about that, you can take the accolades and all these attaboys from your friends. But the honest thing is if you're not surrounding yourself with people who are challenging you and seeing more potential in you and thinking about their dreams rather than talking about their kid's soccer, soccer game, you know, have some real hard conversations with people that inspire you, that want to press you and push you forward. And you're going to start operating at a different level because you're going to gain the mindset of the people who are operating at that higher level. So, man, I'll tell you, proximity of your people is everything, dude. Yeah. And that's harder in corporate America because for, for entrepreneurs, there's not much of an excuse aside from having the wrong network around you, not having the people you need or the desire to work. Corporate America, I saw it where I had people who were miserable in their jobs, yeah. but they had got into the middle management positions where they realized, okay, I'm in my mid forties. I've done really well here, but they knew that, you know, it just starts getting narrower and narrower the higher you get up that pyramid. So your chances of promotion, your chances mm -hmm. of any sort of success go down exponentially. So they almost had to force themselves to be happy with that or make really major life changes that they weren't willing to do. As entrepreneurs, we've got so much flexibility. We, we take a lot more of the blame if we allow ourselves to stay complacent. Yeah, that, that's huge, dude. I'll, I'll tell you, when I was 40 and I started working at a Fortune 10 company, oil and, comp oil and gas company, I started really questioning what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I started looking at the promotional track, you know, my trajectory that I was going to go through my career. And I looked at my supervisor. And I want you, if you're listening to this, I want you to visualize who your boss is or your supervisor is right now and ask yourself a really heartfelt question. 
does that person have the lifestyle that I dream about? Not the, yeah. not the lifestyle that I want. Do, do they have the lifestyle that I dream about? Like, do I fantasize about their lifestyle? Honestly, you're going to probably answer the same question. The response that we have is no. Like most of the times they don't have a dream life. So you go, okay, well, let me look at my supervisor's supervisor. So you got your boss's boss. Look at their life. Do they have the lifestyle that you dream about? And if the answer is no, you got to ask yourself, okay, so that next seat that I'm going to get promoted in five to 10 years has a job as a lifestyle that I don't dream about. And then that next one, if we, even if I get that opportunity, like you said, because the pyramid gets smaller at the top, that's like 10, 15 years down the road sometimes. So I'm going to be working my ass off for the next 10 years to arrive at a chair that doesn't provide me the life that I dream about. And when you really think of it that way, it's like, why the hell am I working so hard to achieve these things that these guys cannot even provide me? So that's when I started looking for businesses yeah. outside the corporate sphere. I said, dude, I'm not going to get it here. I need to go outside and do something else and just supplement my income initially. It's like, I want to create that side business, do things. I can do things online to create money. And that's how I did that. But I'll tell you that within two years, my side business was actually paying more than my engineering career. So my side hustle became my main course. And I remember one, fun, one funny thing is I was like on my way out of this company and this guy was annoying the boss. And and he saw that because I always had like a nice car, things like that. I'm a car guy. So I always have like nice cars. And that's why I got into the side businesses is so I could sub supplement a lifestyle that I wanted to create. And I remember this one guy, he was like, man, we're paying you too much. You know, and I, I said, you know what? I was like, this is actually my part time job. I said, the things I do when I get home from work actually are my main income. And his eyes got really big. And I, he could tell that he had suddenly lost the control or the power that he thought that he had over me yeah. because he was my boss, you know? Yeah. So I am interested since this is what you wrote the book on, since this is what you coach other people on, what we see with side hustles where people can have some issues is be, it's almost the opposite of what you ran into. It's where you did so well with it and you committed so well to it that you got this all of a sudden the table flipped a little bit mm -hmm. and you're making more from that. So many people, I think because they have the comfort and they also have the demand, the comfort from and the demands from their full-time job, it ends up, it, they have a hard time getting past hobby status. Hmm. So what do you think the key to success is? Is it the type of business that people choose? Is it the mindset? What sort of is the secret sauce from your perspective? In simplified terms, obviously. Yeah, this is actually really simple. And it took me a while to figure out this because I, like like you mentioned, started my first couple businesses just building things, like things that don't scale very well. Yeah. Especially if you're like building some kind of hand good, like handmade goods. Like for me, I figured out how to make an electronic circuit that would give a car like 10 horsepower. It would basically fool the computer and the sensors to give it a little bit more power. So I would sit there after work at the kitchen table and I would get my soldering iron and these resistors and little circuit boards and just hand build these things. And I was selling them for like 75 bucks, making like $25 yeah. a piece. They would take me about 15 to 20 minutes each to build. And so I was thinking about, okay, that's almost like still like the employee mindset. It's still trading sure. hours for dollars. Like I can only, I can only build so many of these per hour and I can only sell these for so amount, you know, the market share of this. So it was really like just trading time for dollars, just like most people think about. Like even me, when I was younger, I would go work three jobs. I'd come home from engineering job, go work wait tables every night, and then I'd go work at a performance shop on the, the weekend days, and I would still go wait tables that night. So it was just like this trading hours for dollars mindset that we need to get away from, like breaking. breaking. There's no, there's no relationship 
between time and money. And, and it's a self-limiting belief that we're taught when we're kids because sure. we hear these stupid phrases like, hey, Micah, time is, time is money. Money is time. Time is money. money. You hear this your entire life and you just believe that because you never challenge it. But you speak about online businesses. So we could be making money while we're sleeping. We can make money while we're on vacation. While we're talking right here on this podcast, we could both be making money. We don't actually have to be physically anywhere doing right. some kind of an action to make money nowadays, but most people still haven't understood that that's a possibility. So what I look at is like, you got to, yeah, it's not a hobby. If you want to make money, you can waste your time doing things or you can waste your time making money. But the best way to look at it is the, there's an intersection that exists between three things that are going to give you the best odds of success. So the, the three things are your purpose, your passion, and your expertise. So let me give you a little bit of detail on each of those so people can understand. So you're, your passions are generally like the things you're interested in. So best way to, to, to really have a visualization of that is like, say you go to a magazine rack and there's hundreds of magazines on this rack. Which magazine do you pick up and read cover to cover? Like right there at the stand. That's going to give you an idea of what industry or what business or what, you know, things that you're interested in. It's a passion that you have. It's a hobby. If you can find a business within that industry or build something that helps that industry, or manufacture something, anything that's related to the industry, that passion is going to really just kind of drive you because you're going to feel like you're not working anymore. You're like, you enjoy that. It's like, hey, I enjoy this. It's kind of fun. You know, I'm actually getting some excitement and joy and look forward to doing this. So next is your purpose. Your purpose is very strong. A lot of people have a really weak purpose. And what that weak purpose is, is money. They just yeah. think about the money. They just think about the dollars. And if that's your purpose, I've got bad news for you. You're going to be like 90% of other businesses go out of business because that is not a strong enough purpose. Money is a scorecard. Money is the result right. of creating value. Most people put it first, but the thing is, is you got to think about how you're going to impact this world, how you're going to change the world, how you're going to solve some problems, how you're going to be building your legacy. These are like real purposes because if you're on a mission and you've got a purpose, that is what's going to propel you when times get tough. Because you, as, as you know, Micah, every business is really hard at the initial part. Every one of them, that first one to two years on startup is tough, man. You're going to put some work in. And if you've got a weak, weak purpose, then yeah. you're not going to see it through that. If you have a strong purpose, those tough times won't matter because you know that your purpose is strong and you're not going to change. So the final is the, the you know, just makes your expertise. Like what are the things that you know? What are the skills that you currently have? I'll even include resources. What is the financial resources, or maybe you have specialized equipment or specialized software or access to those things that you can use to build your business. Think about the things that you have that you can bring to the table right now. That's going to help you get started sooner because you have things available. And I will also include that be, be willing and be mindful of the things that you would like to learn that you can monetize. So if there's skills out there that you want to learn or teach yourself or hire a coach or get some mentors that you would like to have in that passion zone, like don't be afraid of investing. It's just like a college degree. Go get some business school. Go get a mentor. Go get a coach because that's going to get you to what you want. So purpose, passion, and expertise. Those three. Wherever those intersect, those three things intersect, you got really good odds of success in that business. Nice. So what do you, in your experience, what percentage of people either once they've talked to you, gotten training, whatever, what percentage of people actually find that intersection versus how many either from lack of drive, incorrect motivation, whatever, what's kind of the, the chances of success in the general population? 
I would say that somebody that's working with me as their business coach or executive coach, every single one of them does something. Every single one of them gets results because I'm not the cheap dude. I'm, I'm the, the, the guy that's done things and I value my time. And if you want to decide to come work with me, then you've already made the commitment that you're going to go jump in and go do these things. So honestly, my price point, I'll tell you early on when I started coaching, at a lower price point because it's just, I'm trying to fill out the market. Actually, the, the first year I helped 22 people start businesses with $0. Like I basically said, I'm gonna prove out my process. I'm gonna get some practice. I'm gonna get some testimonials. So I helped 22 people start their first company without charging them a cent. So that kind of showed that I was already showing everybody like they were like, dude, this is working. Like people are building some, you know, multiple six figures. There's a couple that I've actually got into the seven figures in the last year. So. I've already proven my process, whether it's for myself or other people. So now I started charging. I'll tell you, when I started charging, it was a little less. The clientele wasn't as good, dude. Yeah. When it's just like a quality proposition. When you charge less, people show up with excuses and they tell you things like, I don't have time. And, oh man, sorry, I didn't get to that. Or sometimes they would show up to the meetings a little late. And like, it's just, it was like, it was a very good litmus test. It was a filter. And as I started to increase my coaching rates, dude, people show up prepared. A lot of times they're hitting up me like before the next meeting. Hey guys, I, I did these tasks. I need something else. Like, give me, keep me going. So I get value dude, for it. Dude, it's, it's incredible. And I, and I learned, and I heard this, I had heard this from other people when I started getting into the coaching thing to build that business model out that, you know, this is going to happen, but until you see it for yourself, you don't believe it. But now I'm a firm believer on it. Mm-hmm. Well, we talk about price a lot. That's, that's probably the number two thing we talk about beyond ta- pure tax and financial things mm-hmm. is about people raising their prices. In the online space, it's not as much of a problem because a lot of people have had either, they charge what their ego is, not necessarily what their value is, which again goes to what we do talk about in this podcast, mm-hmm. but a lot of people have just heard, oh man, you're crushing it, you should be charging 50 grand a year, you, you just sky high, even though they're not able to provide any sort of return to their clients what their expertise is but for our local clients and I'd say half of the online ones we still have to work with them on increasing their pricing and goes to a lot of the things that you said and we ran into it ourselves in the early years I started this because I had lost my job I had two grand in the bank was just absolutely miserable in corporate America and said okay let me let me see if I can make this work so you're just trying to do what you can to survive. Yep. So you start out with a lower price point. You're willing to, even if you shouldn't, you'll be more flexible in your processes than you should. You, you put up with more nonsense because you feel like you have to. Mm-hmm. And beyond the fact that we weren't making as much per client as we should have, what got really frustrating is I would have these, these lower motivation clients where we would meet once a year. We don't do that anymore. Now we at least meet quarterly with our business clients, but back then, and we'd come with this whole laundry list of things that they need to be doing. Need to adjust this, this number's wrong. You need going forward, here's some things that you really need to change. Go 365 days in the future, exact same issues are still yep. there. Yep. What they don't have the accountability. They don't, they have, don't the have the accountability. And they didn't have the motivation because yep. that they didn't take it particularly seriously they didn't take their business that seriously and by extension they didn't take us all that seriously so with our clients now we never run into that issue because we charge a higher price point Mm -hmm. and it's such an amazing pre-qualifier 
Because if people are willing to commit to meeting at least quarterly with us, if they're willing to commit to spending that kind of money, then that tells us not everything we need to know about them, but that tells us a lot about what we need to know and if they're going to be the right fit for working with us or not. That's right. And that's, that's one thing that I learned from my coaching mentors and it's whatever price point you come in at, let's let's say if you're, if you're not just preaching a commodity. So if, if someone can get exactly the same thing from somebody else, the exact same level, that's different. But if you're, if you're unique and you're bringing a different proposition, you have unique experience and people want to see what you're doing and they're admiring you as an individual and you can coach, you can coach whatever you want. I've got a friend that's got an eight figure company. He pays his coach $800,000 a year. His coach is a billionaire. So he's like, this guy will make me a billionaire. So when you think about it, it's all, you know, you you hear that. And even the first time I heard it's like, holy crap, that's a lot of money, like 800,000 a year. He's like, yeah, but he's going to make me a billionaire. He already made me an eight figure guy. Yeah. You know, so it's like, okay, so that that's the return on investment. So you got, you got a lot of listeners out there. Like for me, my two coaches that I pay are Ed Milet and Andy Frizzella. You guys can go look up them. They built sure. nine figure companies. Both of them built nine figure empires from zero. And I'm going to be spending over a hundred thousand dollars this year to work with those two guys. Right. So that's a, a big investment. But the thing is, is that I know I will make millions over the course of my life because I'm in that proximity within their network being coached by guys like that who have done the thing. So I've paid, you know, there's people out there spending six figures on a college degree learning from professors who are broke. Mm-hmm. It's like, so think about that, put that in your pipe and smoke it. You know, it's like, it's all the ROI. Like you mentioned the yeah. word return. That's, that's the key because a lot of people out there just fixate on price. It's always price, yeah. price, 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 price. Oh, I can't afford it. I can't afford it. It's like, you can't not afford this because you're, you're where you are. You're in that stuck in that situation that you're in because you haven't invested on a return. You've wasted money on stupid things. Don't make money. You, you, you've, you've talked about price and you think it's expensive. Yeah. You know, maybe buying a watch for $5,000 is expensive to you, but maybe that same $5,000 for an investment that someone's going to get you to learn how to make a hundred thousand, like, dude, like you got to like differentiate the price versus return. Well, what's crazy to me is, this this happens a lot in accounting firms where because back in the day it if it wasn't illegal it was considered kind of unethical to advertise for professional services mm-hmm. so all these old school guys will be like we've never spent a dollar on advertising we get everything from referrals and it's this sort of badge of honor for them like this is the stupidest thing i've ever heard i get if you can spend a hundred bucks and get 300 back or whatever the multiplier is if you can spend a hundred bucks and get a hundred bucks back, why on earth are you not doing it? And same thing. I think people are more and more coming around on the training and coaching side mm. because beyond being cheap and focusing on price and not value, I think there's also a pride factor too. Cause why on earth do I need someone else to tell me what to do? Because I'm so awesome and I'm so fantastic that I don't need anyone to help me out. I mean, I'm the expert here. I'm the coach. I don't need any sort of assistance. And what inevitably happens is no matter how good we are, no matter how adept we are, we all have holes in our ability. We all have deficiencies in areas that we're not particularly good at. And if you don't have the training and you don't have some oversight, you're going to stall out. Dude, you, you, you talked about the generational gaps and that's a, that's a good one. I, I could share a story cause I love sharing stories. So I was at this, this chamber of commerce meeting here in the Houston area 
And there's people that, you know, these things and they're like, Oh man, I want to introduce you to somebody. I'm like, oh, cool. It's like, this other guy's a business coach too. And he's, you know, he's been around the chamber a long time and you know, he's got a lot of experience as well. Connects like, cool. Yeah. I'm always happy to meet anybody. So the guy that we know, the mutual friend makes the introduction and he and I are just sitting there talking to each other and he, he goes, Hey man, so is that traffic killing you too? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, he, you know, he's like, you know, in the traffic. And I was like, Oh, I work at home. And he's like, you're a business coach. Like, yeah. He goes, so you don't like drive around and like meet with your clients. It's like, no, I do a hundred percent of my meetings online on a zoom tele, you know, conference video. And he's like, really? He goes, that works. I'm like, yeah. yeah. And, and so he was telling me that he, he can only see four clients a day for like an hour a piece. Cause That's then he's got to wait the yeah. hour traffic between driving. Houston's a really big city yeah. and he's got to give himself an hour to get between meetings. So he literally he gets four meetings a day. And then, and then we start talking about things and he's like, you really do this? Like, dude, I've got 10 clients around this country. Actually one even in Australia. And he's like, he was, you could just see his eyes get really big. He was just like blown away by this. Cause here's this guy that's, you know, wearing his, his, his cheap suit and his, his, his collar. And you know, he's trying to be like the typical business thing. And, you know, and he's, he's got the sort of, Oh, that's another thing you asked me. He was like, so, so what kind of coaching certification did you get? And I said, none. And he's like, you don't have a coaching certification. It's like, no, I said, neither do the people I pay hundreds of thousands of dollars. They don't have those either. And he's like, well, you know, where'd you get the education? It's like, cause I've owned businesses for the last 20 years and I've earned millions of dollars. And then his guys got, his eyes got really big. I think you realize like there's a whole different regime change in, in business coaching, you know, yeah. like people want to hire people that have done what they want to achieve, not people who have got some certification. And that's not the slant on people that have the certifications. You know what? That's an investment again in knowledge. If you can earn money from doing that, awesome. But there's a lot of people out there running around with certifications in all kinds of practices that think you said like they're hot, they're hot ego and they're high and mighty. And they're like, dude, it's like your certification doesn't, out it doesn't outshine experience sorry dude no it, it can't outshine the performance no. that you can actually make and that's what's always funny and coaching now i think is getting more and more legitimized all the time because there are people who are getting real results mm -hmm. but it's been such a running joke throughout the years because there are of for however many good coaches there are who can give you these great results, there's all these people who went out and got this little two week certification mm -hmm. and go out and purport to be able to help you do things that they've never been able to do. My favorite was I was coming back from a conference one year and there was this woman sitting next to me and her whole niche, her whole thing was she helped other people quit their jobs and work full-time as coaches. That was her whole thing is I'm going to help you quit your day job, work full-time doing some kind of coaching or consulting. She still had a full-time <laughs> job. I'm just like, beyond the fact that how is anyone hiring you if they find that out? Yeah. How, how do you not feel like a thief with that disconnect between reality and what you're claiming? But dude, dude, that's the same as that. You know, it's kind of funny. We're kind of back to the circle, but it's like you, you see people out there, I teach the millionaire mindset or I teach millionaires in the making. It's like, are you a millionaire? And they're like, no, like, well, the mindset's um, not working out so great for you. So. I, yeah, let's just roll with that. You know, it's like, you shouldn't be teaching people, first of all, things that you don't, don't exemplify, to be honest. Like that's, that's just a given. I think, you know, let's say that it, let's say you could teach people the mindset to become millionaires, but you shouldn't use that as your marketing copy. You shouldn't be right. saying like, I, I can make you a millionaire. 
I don't even say that, dude. And I have made people millionaires, but I don't say that. It's just, it's like, I want to teach you the, the process and the business principles to, you know, achieve your personal potential of success. Just, you can reword things differently. A lot of people use these big words to try to attract you. And even my book title, you know, some people may roll their eyes, side hustle millionaire, but you know what? That's, that's an actual factual statement. Like mm-hmm. that's what I made money as a side business. So it was really hard for me to actually step into that title because my editor, copy editor is one that suggested it. I actually wrote that manuscript as the hustle because I used to be a competitive pool player okay. and this, the whole hustle and grind thing. Right. Okay. So I thought it was like a pun, a play on words. I was like, that's kind of cute, trite. And I wrote it and he goes, dude, this is an awesome book. I think it's going to do really well. He goes, but we got to fix this title. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's the hustle, man, the hustle. And he goes, he goes, no dude, you're the side hustle millionaire. And I'm like, man, I don't want to use that. It's like, people are going to like laugh at it and you know, roll their eyes and think it sounds kind of arrogant. And he's like, dude, that's your story. He goes, that is your story. And I was like, let me think on that. So I slept on it. And the next day I was like, you know what, what are they going to make fun of? Side hustle? Nope. That's what I did. I owned businesses for 20 years as I worked. That's, that's proven. Millionaire. Nope. Sold a company for multiple seven figures, made also made millions as profits on these other businesses. Like, so like, what are they going to dispute here? Especially when it's all out there. Like Google, like you said, knows everything. Go, please go search me. I encourage it. So it's, so I said, okay, I'm going to trust you because this is what you do. You're the book dude. And, and dude, I stepped into the story and I've never regretted that since. Yeah. That's awesome. So we've talked about this a little bit, but one of the things we do ask about is aside from freedom, because freedom is always everyone's first thing on what's the best part about having an, a profitable online business. What's it been in your experience? What, what's your favorite part and what's been the best thing about having that? I think that for me, it's just not having a boss. It's not having somebody telling you what to do. That's, that's the main thing because let's be honest, I have, as you, especially when you start to get into the middle management, you start to be surrounded by other people who got promoted based on their tenure rather than their talent. And you find all these inept and just not very good leadership in the middle management, especially these larger companies. It's just people that just paid their dues. I'm doing the air quotes for the listeners They paid their dues. They put the years in, but they put their years in, but they never got improvements. They never really got better. It's just, they just waited in line. Like you're not, you don't deserve that seat if you're not a leader. Cause there's a lot of people out there that think they're, manager title makes them a leader, but they're not even the same. Like yeah. a leader is someone who actually cares about their team, knows what their individual motivators are, likes to facilitate the success of every person that's on their team, can see the big visionary picture where this thing is headed, or you got managers that just think that they're the authority type that point their fingers and like, do what I say and not what I tell you. And like, just, you got these people that just think that they're, they're leaders, but they're not. So I started running into that. And then you get into the areas where they, you, they bring in leaders or management from outside the company and they don't know your industry. So you're here, you're here training your boss. Basically you're training your boss for like six to 12 months. And you're like, if I'm good enough to train my boss, why am I not the boss? You know, this doesn't even make sense. And that happened to me a few times. I was like, dude, this is just terrible. So me reporting to people who were, you know, maybe just a little bit weaker and I'm not saying that because I'm just overly in their face. I'm actually a really good worker and I put in the hard work, but there's a lot of people who are just kind of, you know, they're just, they're self-conscious or they got these insecurities and they don't like having high performers on their team. That's another indicator of a good leader. Good leaders are not afraid to hire people who are better than them in right. every regard. Like we want the all-star team if we're a leader. The yeah. weak leaders, you know, we've heard this phrase, eight, the A leaders will hire the A people 
the B leaders will hire the C people. Right. Because they don't, they want to be perceived as the best. They don't want people who are better than them that will challenge them or make them better. So if you, if you're around those kind of leaders that are like the B type leaders hiring the C team and like you're an A team person, it's like, doesn't work out very well. Yeah. And that's what I experienced a lot of what you did too when I was in corporate America. And for me, one of the things that would be the most frustrating was just dealing with the status quo because for so many of them, it was, we've done it this way for the past 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I get bored pretty easily, especially in those jobs where it can just be so much repetition and every month you're going through creating the same reports, doing the same analysis, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'd be like, okay, why are we doing it this way? I found this other way we could be doing it. This analysis really isn't analyzing things the way you think it is for whatever reason. And occasionally it would get through, but so many of the times like, well, that's the way that, you know, four levels above us, that's what's been requested. So we're not rocking the boat here. Just you know, sit down, stop rocking the boat. Yeah. And that, that it was just so frustrating knowing that not just in my position, but just extrapolating that out and saying, mm -hmm. okay, this company has 30,000 employees in it. If 1% of them is having a halfway decent idea every month and they're just getting shot down like this, what, what's the point? What are we doing here? Yeah, people are very aggressive on that climb up the ladder. Then they get to the middle management ranks and they kind of go into hiding because it's like you said, they, they, the things that made them successful to get to that point, they were very bold and daring and outgoing and delivering and just creating value. And then most of them make to the middle management. And they realize that the next promotion is 10 to 15 years away and they basically go into hibernation. Yeah. And they, like you said, that whole status quo, like just maintain, don't rock the boat, don't create any waves don't get fired because your pension or your 401k is building and compounding. It's just all these things keep them very mediocre. And you know what? That's a terrible existence, dude. Well, the risk benefit for them. They say, okay, best case in a decade, I'm going to get promoted. And even that, let's say is a 50, 50 shot if I'm yeah. fortunate. But if I start making waves here, the chance of me getting fired or demoted goes up about 10 times. Hell yeah. If they're doing just any sort of rational analysis of the situation, of course they're not going to. Yep. And that's why America comp company, corporate America is like just not very efficient, especially at the higher ranks. Yeah. hundred percent. All right, man, we've been talking for a while, so we're going to have to, we're going to dispense with the last couple of questions. It's been awesome right. talking to you though. So for anyone who's wanting to get in touch with you, for anyone who's looking to work with you, what's the best way for them to contact? Is it your email, one of your websites? What should they do? So I've got a website and it's 365driven.com. So 365driven.com. And you'll find links there to my podcast, on my best-selling book, my Instagram, all that's on that one website. Okay. Awesome, man. Tony, again, thanks so much for being here. Thanks. It's been a good time. All right. Yeah, absolutely. To everyone watching, thanks for being here. This has been the Few, the Proud, the Profitable, where we only talk to six and seven figure online businesses. Tune in next time.